Today we're going to continue our series on this called Forever Family. And so I want to just talk to you today a little bit about being a wife and a mama. And so I know everybody in this room, some of y'all are men, you're not a wife and a mom. But I promise there is something in this message that you can take away and you can apply to your life that will help you to be more like Jesus and to build a legacy for him. Amen? So everything I'm teaching today is going to come from Titus um, chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. So if we can get that on the screen. I just want to give a shout out to the people at the media um, back there because I was just watching as the announcements were coming and everything was on the screen. And they're kind of in the back, so they're not noticed, but they're so appreciated and needed every Sunday. So thank you guys for what you do back there. (laughs) Uh, Would you just bow your head and pray with me? Father, we are just delighted that we are yours, God. It's a privilege to know you and to serve you and to love you. And God, I just pray that you would minister to every person in this room as I speak and share your word. And God, I just ask for your ability today. I pray that you would anoint my words and help me to bring glory and honor to your name. Help the words that I speak be words that can bring healing to families. God, help the words that I speak be ones that can be caught within hearts. And Jesus, I know that as we open our hearts to you and as we open up our hearts to your word, that your word has power to transform us, God, because your word is powerful. So I just pray that you would help every one of us, Lord, not to harden our hearts, but to have soft hearts that can receive your word and that your word can just change our lives and change those around us. I pray that you would heal and restore families and God heal and restore individuals in this place today in the name of Jesus. Amen. So I want to read to you guys Titus chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. It says, These older women must train the younger women to love their husbands and their children, to live wisely and be pure, to work in their homes. Some translation says to be homemakers. I love that one. To do good and to be submissive to their husbands. Then they will not bring shame on the word of God. So we're going to break this apart bit by bit, and and my hope today is to teach a little bit on every one of these subjects. Now, it says, let the older women, I'm only 45, but I think that we can all learn from each other. I think I'm older than maybe some of you, but either way, I feel like God has some things that he wants to say to you. I did go and visit an older woman, though, last week. Her name's Dorothy. A lot of you know our sweet Dorothy. She's probably the oldest woman in this church. She's about 94, and I wish I had the video to show you guys, but we need some help, a little bit more help with technology. We're not there yet. But I took a little video, and I said, Dorothy, can you just, I'm going to share it on Facebook, because you guys want to see this, I promise you. So look on our Spirit Life Church page, and you'll find it. But I said, Dorothy, we're teaching about family and being, um, being wives. I said, Dorothy, can you tell us women how we can love our husbands really well the way you love Chuck and you know they're in their 90s and they're just so precious and I'm going to put a little plug go visit Chuck and Dorothy they love visitors and if you visit them it will make their day and not only that but they are people of prayer and the presence of God um, I one one moment I asked Chuck I said Chuck What's in your heart lately? And he says, I want to see the miraculous. And I said, Chuck, you can practice right now with me. I'll come over and you can pray for me. And so he prayed for me. And boy, I just felt the presence of God while we were praying. But little plug for them. But Dorothy answered me. And she was taking some thought to her words. I love that about older people, how they will weigh their words. And she said, 
just be kind. And you're going to really love the next part. And she said, you guys, I wish I had a picture right now, but like I said, go online and watch it later with her little hairdo. She said, and if it's possible, do your hair. <laughs> and, then, and then she says, just care about them. And that was it. A few words. So if you don't remember anything I say today, remember to do your hair. <laughs> I don't do my hair very often, so I'm not doing very good at that one. But um, so the first part of this verse in Titus 2, 4, and 5 says, love our husbands and love our children. Now, if there's a place in the scripture, there are specific places in the word of God in the Bible that really teach us about love. And 1 Corinthians 13 is one of the ones that when you are in a position where you need help loving like God loves, I suggest you go there. And 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7, we're going to look at this bit by bit. The very beginning of it says, love is patient and kind. Now, Jeff talked about this a little bit last week, but, you know, as I sat and I thought about this and Dorothy's words to just be kind. I thought, you know, that this is talking about the way that we behave towards one another, the way we treat one another. And the more I thought about that, the more I thought about that, I just realized that the way we treat one another is really based on the way we see one another. It's based on the way, like if you see someone and all of a sudden that person seems really important to you, you treat them a special way. Sometimes, honestly, we can err in this. We can see someone and they might not look that great and maybe we just, we don't come up to our best in the way we treat them. But God isn't partial. And he wants us to treat everybody actually in this way with patience and kindness. And you know, the people that we see the most weakness in, the people that we see, like we know them well, we know their flaws, we know the things that they're great at, but we also know all the struggles, are the people that we live with every single day, right? And so there can be a temptation in marriage as you get to know the weaknesses of your spouse, as you see of how, I'm going to just talk about myself, how they don't always clean the toothpaste off the sink and how they have a pile of clothes on the bed and, you know, they forgot to put the clothes in the dryer. <laughs> that, that's all me, guys. That's not Jeff. Um, you know, you, you might have a tendency when you look at them to feel a little something besides patience and kindness. And honestly, it can go a lot deeper than that because we know life has a lot of battles. But I want to encourage you, when you look at your spouse, look at them through the Father's eyes. When you look at your neighbor, when you look at your friends, when you look at the people in the church, when you look at your children, look at them through the Father's eyes. It will help you to be patient and kind. When I look at my husband, I say, he's not just Tasha's husband. He is God's son. It will shift and change the way that I speak to him, the way I treat him. It'll help me to be patient and kind. Amen. And the next one says, love is not jealous, boastful, proud, or rude. You know, Jeff touched last week on how the fact of, uh, actually it was in one of our videos that we did of how the Bible says that the two actually become one flesh. And so when my husband wins, I actually win. 
When my husband is rejoicing in something, I should be rejoicing with him. I shouldn't be jealous and say, oh, well, why did you just get the recognition when I was doing all the work? And, guys, this carries through with all kinds of relationships. But right now we're just really honing in on marriage. But you can take this to any relationship. Love actually rejoices with other people. When they're promoted, we want to feel their promotion. And we want to take joy and delight in that and not be rude or selfish or be like, well, why wasn't I recognized? Why didn't I receive that? And the next one, love does not demand its own way. Now, I think if we were to get really real about this one, this, this one can be a hint. This can be a stumbling block in our homes because we all want our own way, right? Isn't that, who, Burger King, is it Burger King? It says, have it your way. I don't remember if that's McDonald's or Burger King or who it is. But we all have a particular way of doing things. Maybe it's a certain way that you fold the clothes. Maybe it's a certain way that you correct your children. Maybe it's a certain way that you teach and train your children. It has a, when it, we come to children, it's actually a bit, it can be a really big one because we're two people. We probably have a different idea of what's the right way. And we all are convinced that our way is the right way, but love doesn't demand its own way. And so one of the practical ways in in my life that I feel, besides like, you know, not giving myself the biggest piece of cake, would be with our kids. Like when my husband maybe sees that there, it feels in his heart that there is a certain way that the kids need to be corrected, or he's doing something, and I look and I might just see and feel like, I don't think that that's the right way to do this. Like, in the natural, my husband is probably a little more tender in our home than I am at times. Like, I can actually be the more aggressive one or the more firm one. Sometimes that'll flip, but for the most part, that's how it is. And I can remember when our oldest children, who were 20 and 23 right now, were small, sometimes I would get frustrated at that. I would feel like, I want you to be firmer right now with our children. I want you to do this a specific way. And, you know, it came to a point, I thank God that my husband is actually very, it's very healthy that he's very vocal with me. He'll just, we are actually both with each other, but I had to get there at first. I just got mad and ran away. Um, But, like, we had to learn how to talk about how we feel in certain situations. And he would just tell me, he'd say, listen, if you keep shutting me down when I'm trying to train or teach our children, you're, you're just, you're making me back away. You know, and, and I, didn't, I didn't want my husband to back away. Like, he's a good dad. I wanted him to be involved in raising our kids and, and lead our children and be able to teach them. But if I'm always criticizing, or it can be the same in the kitchen. If there's a specific way that you wash your dishes and you put them away and your spouse does it, is it really worth the fight? Or do you want to empower them to go ahead and do what they're supposed to do? Now, This carries through in every area of our lives. We have to learn to back up and allow people to do the things the way that they're wired to do them and to be okay with that. And at the same time, there's areas where we had to be in agreement. Like, and you know, we did that. We'd say, okay, what are the things in our home? Jeff talked a little bit last week about values. What are the values in our home that from the time our children are very little, we're going to train them. It's like work, right? We're going to train them in these values. We're going to say, these are the things that are really important to the Fergusons. These are, one of those things was honesty. Honesty. 
Like it was so big in our family. Like we always tell the truth. No matter how hard it hurts, no matter how hard it is, we want you to tell us the truth. And so there was things like that that we had agreement in and we talked about so that when those things were broken, we knew what to do with them. And that it's just such a helpful thing to have in your family. I encourage you to have that. Love is not irritable. How many of y'all get irritable sometimes? Come on, don't lie. Raise your hand. We all, you guys, I'm, oh, thank you, Stacy. You get irritable. Me too. So listen, the love doesn't get irritable, but we can't just walk around saying, I'm not going to be irritable. I'm not going to be irritable. You know what will help you to not be irritable is if you actually open up your heart and you open up your mouth and you tell somebody what you need. You know when we get irritable is when we have these needs that we haven't even recognized what we need in the moment and we haven't shared. This is what I need right now. So this is one of the most helpful things that we've done is, and we don't always do it, like sometimes we miss it, is we'll stop and we'll say, honey, like, I really need a little bit of alone time right now. I really need to go take a nap. I'm feeling exhausted. You know what? My heart is heavy over what happened earlier today. And so I'm just not feeling at my best. I need a little time. Or um, whatever is going on in the walk, maybe it's even something from the past, maybe it's something from the present, but if you just sit in it and let it simmer, what happens? Like you get irritable, right? You begin to suppress whatever's going on inside, or maybe it's just physical, you're tired or you're hungry and you need a break. Listen, one of the best things you can do is recognize your need and share it with your spouse. Share it with those. This can also happen in your workplace. You go to work one day and, you know, the day before you had something devastating that happened or you had something really hard that shook you and you go to work and you're just not at your best. The best thing you could do is just stop and talk to the people that you work with. Talk to your supervisor and tell them what's happening in your heart, what's happening in your life, because then they can show you compassion, right? Then you can know that they actually understand where you're coming from. And sometimes we don't do this because we don't know how to be vulnerable. Like we don't know how to say hard things, but I'm going to tell you right now, the only way to do it is to just do it. You have to just do it. You have to say those hard things. It'll save your marriage. Love keeps no record of being wronged. Aren't you guys glad that God's word tells us how to love. Come on, how many of you have had a little score chart that you kept? I mean, I've, I've definitely been guilty of this one. We could, you know, I'm just going to tell you a story. So I feel like this, this love keeps no record of being wrong. Because it says in Titus 2, it says, train these things to your husband and to your, uh, uh, train them how to love your husband and your children. So we're talking about both. Well, in marriage, when it comes to keeping no record of wrong, I feel like I was probably the the one to stumble the most in that. Well, look what I just did yesterday. Like, you know, it's that score chart. Like, who's doing more right now, right? Who's who's keeping score? Who's doing more? Who did the worst thing last time? And how can how can I do it better? Or you don't really deserve this. And and love isn't about what we deserve. Love is about who we are. God loves us consistently and all the times. The only way that we can actually step friends into this kind of love is by recognizing that God himself is 
love. And his spirit lives on the inside of you. So you can love this way. Sometimes we hear this and we think it's too hard, so we just put up this wall, but you don't know what I went through. You don't know what that person did to me. No, I don't know, but Jesus knows. And Jesus still loved, even while on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Listen, God's love in you can bring healing and wholeness and health to a relationship that's been broken for a long time. I promise you it's true. He can do it. But you have to lean back and lean into the Father and actually say, I can't do this, but I know that your love in me can. And that's how you access grace. You access grace, which is God's ability through faith. You access it. You pull on it. Well, in marriage, I would say I was probably the one that kept score the most. But my husband, like I said, he's pretty vocal. He'd just call me out on it. Like, baby, are you keeping score? The other day it happened with my child. So I, my youngest is 10, and um, we had, I had really, like, I'd really done some stuff to, like, make his life, like, I was trying to bless my kid, you know, like, I set up some play dates for him, and and the end of one of the play dates, he had this meltdown in the car. He just got really upset that he had to leave, and he starts crying, and I become fuming, angry, like, probably more so than I should be, right? But I'm really frustrated. Now, Now looking back, like I can see why I was actually angry was number one is I was afraid that like I was trying to help him build friendships. It was so important for him and for me. And I felt like he was ruining that by his moment in the car. And then I just felt really unappreciated probably too. Like I'm doing all this for you and now you're going to melt down in the car, right? And so I'm in the car and I'm, I'm having to do the exchange of, you know, taking the kid back home and say, hi, yeah, thank you for everything. And yeah, sorry, my kid's having a meltdown in the car right now. And, um, and smile my way through it. But I, I get back in the car and I'm just really mad. And I want to just turn around and drop. Now, we had plans after drop-off. There was plans that followed. and I wanted to just get in my car and just drop him off at home, um, but I felt inside like, nope, that's, that's not the right thing to do right now either. So the next thing I did is I ran to my husband. He was here at the church working. I'm flexible job, right, honey? I'm going to pop in, and I'm going to drop you off the kid because I'm really frustrated with him right now. So I get here. Jeff's like, nope, I just got a call from the hospital. I'm on my way there, and I'm like, <sighs> fine. <laughs> He's stuck with me. Like, I love my son, guys. Don't get me wrong, but I think we should be honest, right? So I, um, I stand there for a minute, and, and my friend I'm going to meet up with next, and she's got her kids. She calls, and I've got, like, attitude in my voice, and I can feel it, and I just tell her I don't want to think I'm mad. I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm just I'm really mad at my, at my kid right now, and I'm trying to let it go. Just give me, like, an extra 10 minutes so I can come to you and not be irritable, right? So, um, I talked to my son about what happened, and I'm like, he, he needs a consequence, but he doesn't need my wrath. Like, he doesn't need me to just carry a load of, like, I'm really angry and frustrated with, with you. But at the same time, he needs to learn what's good behavior and what's not, right? So I decided to pull Pat and Anita, and I had him run around the church <laughs> a few times. And... um <laughs> I love for those who know Pat and Anita laugh. It works. It's great, you know. So he, he ran around the church a few times and <laughs> and we <laughs> and we get back in the we get back in the vehicle and I'm like talking to myself, like, okay, like he had a consequence. You ta- had a talk with him. You need to let this go. We're talking about love doesn't keep a record. 
of wrongs, right? And every one of us, we can get tempted when somebody makes us mad to just carry it, to just let it fester and to stay angry and to keep the record for a while. Now, I'm a believer, as you heard, on consequences. I think that parenting requires boundaries and consequences when you're training your children and teaching them things. But it's not healthy just to stay mad at them. And I was still feeling mad. And I know my son is super smart and sensitive to my, like, he knows when I'm not happy with him. And so I I get back in the car, and we drive. We're driving to Broadway, and I stop, and I just... We got the car, and he's like, I'm just not going to talk. And I said, no, buddy, you know what? I want you to talk. Like, you already had a consequence. You already knew what you did was wrong. And I said, Mom is just mad, and I, and I know I'm, I don't want to be mad at you. Like, I know I shouldn't be mad at you anymore, and so I'm just working through it. And I start just telling him about my process, right? I'm like, he's 10. Like, he, he understands this. I, like, I can actually make this a teachable lesson and teach him what to do when we're angry, right? So I said, I, I, Mom is still feeling mad, but I'm working right now on giving it to Jesus because I love you, and I'm not going to stay mad at you. And, yes, you can still have a donut when you do well as we go on this little shopping adventure while I try on a couple dresses because they were on clearance, right? And so he's like, he's like, okay, he's on his best paper, and we're walking, and I can still feel. Can you ever just still feel the tension inside? And you, you don't want to feel it, but you feel it. Maybe you guys are just such good Christians. You never feel this way, but <laughs> so I, I'm feeling, I'm feeling the tension inside, and we're walking, and I'm really trying to just give it all to Jesus. And so I just start praying out loud. With it's just me and Silas still, and I just start praying out loud and asking God. I'm like, God, I'm, I thank you for Silas. He's my son. He's my gift. Thank you so much for him. Jesus, I just give you this anger. I ask you just to take it from me right now, God, and I just choose your peace, and I I choose your love. And we're walking, and he's just listening. Like, he's just listening. And I, I, like, now I look back, and I'm like, that was actually a great lesson for him. But in the moment, I was just trying to get over it, (laughs) you know? Like, I was just trying to love like Jesus, and I was struggling, so... I wanted him to know that I love him, but I have, you know, like he's going to walk through these things. And so I said all that to say, love keeps no record of wrongs. And sometimes wrongs are little wrongs, and sometimes wrongs are really big wrongs. And it takes a little longer to work through it. But I want to encourage you that you can. You can. You can do it with Jesus. You can do it with his grace. And things can change because of it. Love does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices when the truth wins out. Listen, the best way I can think to describe that is when, you know, somebody has maybe deserves punishment or deserves something that seems like it would be justice in that moment, but they don't get that like the truth wins out that you're actually not on the side of just punishment like because sometimes we can want punishment for someone but is that God's heart God God wants to correct them the Bible does say he disciplines those he loves but he's not trying to punish us our punishment was actually already carried by Jesus on the cross he carried our punishment so we're not trying to punish we're trying to actually 
love like him. We're trying to move towards truth and grace and righteousness. So love never gives up. It never loses faith. It is always hopeful. It endures through every circumstance. Now, they're here. I have a picture. They're, oh, it's, no, it's not. Okay, it's coming next. I just realized how that works. So they didn't know this, but there's sweet Emily and Isaac. I hope you don't mind. I took your picture off Facebook. (laughs) It's a good one. Don't they look good, y'all? They look so good. So now when you first get married, see their faces? Like, that's how you feel about each other. Isn't that precious? You feel that way. Like, it feels really easy to say, I love you, and you're so precious to me, and to go and to serve one another. But eventually, like, it gets hard. Eventually, you see all those things about one another that frustrate you. And like I said, the way you treat each other is all about the way that you see each other. So we have to see each other rightly. Now, I have another picture that I want to show you guys in a moment. This is not Emily and Isaac, but this is our dear Barb and Milt. That's Jenny's mama and daddy and uh, John's mother-in-law and step uh, What did I do? Mother and father-in-law. Thank you. And they are, they are precious people. Now, I'm showing you their picture because not only are they precious people that love Jesus, but they live the life that we're preaching about in these last few sentences. It says, love never loses faith. It is always hopeful, and it endures through every circumstance. And when I sat and I thought about those words, the best thing I could think of was these two. Because right now, Barb, who is believing for a miracle, and we are believing God with her for a miracle in her body, in her body is suffering from ALS. And she's, you know, she's in a wheelchair. She can't walk right now, and she's not able to speak with her mouth. She uses a device in her eyes to speak. And you know what comes out of her? Love. Like she is still loving her husband. Her husband is still loving her. He's caring for her. He's taking care of her. This is a picture, guys, of what love looks like. It doesn't give up. It keeps the faith. It keeps believing. It endures hard situations and hard circumstances. And when we live in a culture today that I would call cancel culture, it's what I've heard it called, where we're just quick to give up. Now, if you've been through a divorce, this is not, like, this is not me beating up on you. I know that there's times where that happens and has to happen, and God's a God of mercy and forgiveness. But I want to encourage you in your life right now where you're at, love does not give up. It endures the hard seasons and it keeps going and it sees the reward of its suffering. Amen. Why don't we just pause while we have this picture of them up there and let's just pray with them for their miracle. You know, my husband goes there about every other week or so and he worships with them and he prays with them and he sits with them. And every time I ask him, sometimes I get to go, but it's not very often. I'll say, how was it? And he'll come home so encouraged by their faith. Like, he comes home filled up. He's like, oh, it was so good. The presence of the Lord was there. We're believing God. They were full of hope. I was so ministered to. Like, guys, you can do hard things. You can believe God. And you know what? If you're having a hard time doing it, go and find someone who is in a harder place and believe God with them and watch how your faith will be encouraged. Amen? Father, we just lift up as we're looking at their pictures, our dear friends, Barb and Milt, Father, and we just thank you for a miracle, God. 
We ask you, Jesus, that's her cry. She's crying out for a miracle. So, God, we're standing beside her and connected to her. And, Jesus, we pray for a complete health and healing in her body. And we also just pray for great grace for every single day that they live, God, that they would bring glory and honor to you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. So, guys, this is what love can do. It can do powerful things. Now, the rest of the scripture of Titus 2, we're going to move through really quick because we spent a lot of time on love. But the Bible in Titus 2, 4 also says to live wisely and to be pure. So a woman who is serving God, even a man who is serving God, we need to live wisely and to be pure. I want to read to you from the Message Bible, James 3, 17. It says, real wisdom God's wisdom begins with a holy life. Everybody say, it begins with a holy life. It is characterized by getting along with others. Now, that's interesting because when I think of somebody who's wise, like I think of somebody who knows a lot of stuff. And that's part of wisdom. But wisdom actually here, if, as we look at this passage of Scripture, it's actually defining it as somebody who lives a holy life and knows how to treat people. That's actually a wise person from the perspective of James 3. So I'm going to start back at the beginning. Real wisdom, God's wisdom, begins with a holy life. It's characterized by getting along with others. It's gentle and reasonable. It's overflowing with mercy and blessings. It's not hot one day and cold the next. It's not two-faced. You can develop a healthy, robust community that lives right with God enjoys, and enjoy its results only if you do the hard work of getting along with each other, treating each other with dignity and honor. Friends, the wisest thing you can do is keep a pure heart. It's the wisest thing you can do. School is great. It's so beneficial, and I encourage you to go to it. But the wisest thing you can do for your life and for your heart is protect and guard your heart to keep it pure. Stay away from gossip. Stay away from things that will defile your heart. Stay away from pornography. Stay away from from greed and selfishness. Stay away. Like Make a decision that I'm going to keep my heart pure because it belongs to the Lord and because the Bible says from it flow the springs of life. Guard your heart and keep it pure. Amen? The third thing that's mentioned in the scripture is to work in their homes. Teach the women to work in their homes. Now, I thought of that, and I'm like, Lord, what do I do about this one? And um, I loved how one of the translations said homemaker. And, you know, the, just a couple days ago, we were at a funeral, and I was talking to one of the girls, and I said to her, tell me about your grandpa. Like, who, her grandpa had just passed. What did you love about your grandpa? She said, you know, she gave me a few things. One of them was he always had cookies, right? The other, one of the things, though, she said was his it was always a peaceful place when I went to be at his house. It was just a peace. I think such a big, important part of being a homemaker, a person who takes care of your home, is to make it a peaceful environment, an environment where people can actually say who they are, how they feel, that's not crazy. Now, that doesn't mean that kids might not be jumping on the couch. You come to my house, sometimes all the cushions are off my couch. My son's made it a fort, and he's bouncing from one place to another. And I'm not saying you should let your kids couch up on the couch. We just happen to let him do that, but maybe not when we get a new one. So, but your, the environment of your house, like what does it feel like when you enter the room? 
Well, I didn't want to just give you that. I also wanted to give you some practicals because I also am friends with a lot of women. And I know that taking care of our house is actually a really hard thing. So here's a few practical steps that can help you. One is don't have more than you can take care of. Just don't have more than you can take care of. Go through your kitchen. Get rid of the things you're not using. Go through your closets. Give away the things you're not wearing. Don't have more than you can take care of. And a little input for that is if you haven't watched her, check out the video, The Minimalist Mom. Now, I'm not a minimalist, but I will tell you that she has some great hacks on how to actually do some purging in your house and make it a place that doesn't feel hectic or crazy. The next thing I had for you is build a routine. Taking care of your home, one of the best things that's helped me is just building. I'm not a person of routine. Like my husband was describing me to the, the other day to someone, and he said, she's so carefree. When she first got, we first got married, I was like, who is this woman? I'd walk in the house and throw off my shoes and throw off my clothes and just plop down on the couch. And, well, not my, not my clothes. You're right <laughs> Not my, my jacket. I didn't have a jacket. I was in Florida. Anyways, I'm pretty carefree, okay? But I had to learn that, like, my space was important to me. Like, I wanted it to be a peaceful place. And part of that is, like, not having a house that feels stressful, right? The best way you can do that is just to build a routine. And when you're trying to add something into your routine, I learned this from a very wise author. I don't remember who he was. He says, make it before or after something you already do. If you're trying to build a routine, what's something you're already doing? Add something right before or right after, and that's how you add something new into your routine. So for us, for instance, like every day, um, sometime during the day, we do a house pickup. Like we, Silas, go pick up all your things from each room because he's kind of like me, and he drops stuff in every room in the house. So go pick up all your things. Let's all go wash a dish. And not only that, like we do it together. I'm getting to my next point. Um, but nope, that's not on there. But do it together. Like, have something for everyone in your house to do. When my big kids were still home, like, there were certain things they were responsible for. There was things Silas is responsible for. We all have things. We learned at the beginning of our marriage, Jeff doesn't want me washing or ironing his clothes. Like, he would get holes in his shirts after I ironed, like, way too hot. And he'd go to church. And what's that crackle in my neck as he's preaching? Oh, my wife ironed a hole in my shirt. So, thank God I got fired from that job. I don't have to iron or wash his clothes. You know, he's particular and I'm not. So, I wanted, I took pictures of our drawers. I wish I could have brought it. Guys, he's got, like, the best drawer. It's completely organized. I could send you all a picture, text the whole church. But, and then my drawer tries to be like Jeff. It's like got some things, you know, organized and then there's things piled on top of it. And that's just the difference. But build a routine in your family life. Build a routine in keeping, taking care of your house. It'll give you peace. The next thing I wrote is keep it messy enough that no one's walking on eggshells and clean enough that it's a comfortable place for rest and guests. Like you don't want it to be that you walk in the house. It's like, don't touch that. Don't touch this. You know, like you don't want to walk on eggshells in your home. But you also want it to be a place where you can feel peace inside of it. You can rest. You can invite somebody in, and it might be a little messy, but you're not embarrassed to host them, right? And then the last one I got on there is learn from others. My friend Janice taught me how to do a lot of things within the home. So if there's something you don't know, ask a friend. Ask someone to teach you, and I bet they would encourage you. The next part is do good. Teach women to do good. Proverbs 31.20 says she extends a helping hand to the poor and opens her arms to the needy. 
Heidi Baker said this. She said, it's not complicated. Just love the one in front of you. You know, we can look at this and say, like, I want to do good to the people in my own home, which is actually so important. There's been times my husband called me out and said, honey, you have more mercy for other people than you have for me. And I had to check myself. But another part of this is actually gathering your family and going to serve other people. Making that a part of your culture so that when your kids grow up, they know it's not, life is not just about them. They have compassion in their hearts. They know how to go and visit people. They know how to make meals for people. They know how to serve people. They know that it's not, life is not just about them. It's about how we can make a difference and how we can serve other people. Amen? And then the last one I have here is submit, be submissive. Teach the wives to be submissive to their husbands. Now, this is such a hard one because people have so many definitions of what submission is. And, you know, I looked it up all week long, and I've looked it up before. And the Greek word for submission is the word hypotasso. I'm probably saying it wrong. It's H-Y-P-O-T-A-S-S-O, be submissive to their husbands. And I love this definition as it talks about this Greek word. It says submissive is a Greek military term, meaning in military fashion, it's under the command of a leader. But in a non-military term, it's used as a voluntary attitude of giving in, of cooperating, of assuming responsibility and carrying a burden. And I think that that really says it best. We are not against one another. We're actually on the same team as a married couple, We're for each other, and I want to cooperate with my husband. I don't want to go against him or try to be right or try to make him do things a different way. I want to be able to come underneath his authority as a leader. And then there's also times where he's going to ask me to lead. There's areas in our life and our family where he might say, you have a greater strength in this area. You lead that area. I'll lead this area. We're going to lead this together. And I think we also see this best when we look at the book of Genesis and we see God's original design for the family. So I'm going to read to you from Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. This is from the Amplified. It says, Then God said, Let us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, make man in our image according to our likeness. So this is God. He's creating, it says man, but this word is actually the word like mankind. So it's talking about man and woman. Let's make them in our image and in our likeness, not physical, but a spiritual personality and moral likeness. And let them have complete authority over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the cattle, and over the entire earth, and over everything that creeps and crawls on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of and likeness of God. He created a male and female He created them, and he blessed them, granting them certain authority. And he said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subjugate it, which means putting it under your power, and rule over it. Dominate the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and every living thing that moves upon the earth. Who did he give authority to when he made them? Them. He gave it to them. We are called, come here, my love. Will you come here, please? He likes me to say please. He tells me at home, can you ask me that one more time? Yes, baby. Can you please help me wash the dishes? So 
He, he gave them authority. Listen, the most beautiful picture of marriage and the way that it's supposed to reflect Christ and the church is when we walk in unity. When I'm not trying to, I don't know. What am I trying to do, baby? I'm trying to dance right now. Woo! When I'm not trying to rule the house, when he's not trying to dominate over me, but when there is cooperation, when I'm seeing him and I'm not threatened by his leadership, when he sees my gifts and instead of being threatened by them, he actually pulls or draws me into them, that's the picture of what Christ wants to do in the marriage. We're not fighting against each other. We're on the same team. Amen?